listener production. We should probably go ahead and get started. This has real, like, last day of school energy mm. for me. This is the final story that I'm telling for the year oh. and it is a big one. It's not going to go out until, like, January or February, okay. whatever. Um, anyway, this is all logistics. Hello, listeners. Welcome back for another episode of Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which ordinarily Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to discuss at a dinner party. Rosie's been taking a bit of time to look after your health, as you very well know, and we've had some fabulous guests come and join us. And this week, we have the wonderful, gorgeous, delightful, infectious Lem Zaharia. Am I supposed to cheer for myself? Please do. Everyone out there (laughs) across the nation around the world is cheering. Uh, Lem, a few of our listeners might remember that you stepped in as guest producer for us one time, not that long ago, when we did an episode on Richard Jewell. Um, So they heard your voice there. Most of them, I'm sure, listen to Abby Chatfield's podcast, It's A Lot, Mm -hmm. um, which you've made more and more um, of a vocal contribution to as the show's progressed. Anyway, I shouldn't be introducing you. I should be inviting you to introduce yourself. Lem, please tell our listeners just the gist of who you are and what you do. If you do listen to It's A Lot uh, with Abby Chatfield and you hear... laughing in the la- in the background that is me I like laugh like I think 70% of the show is like me laughing mm-hmm. <laughs> this laugh and you've got the perfect laugh for it it yeah. is so infectious and without giving anything away just yet you okay. have a similar sort of giggle to the woman who we're discussing oh, really? today yeah she ends a lot of her sentences with this gorgeous little <laughs> <laughs> And you've got that similar That's vocal insane. quality, which um, just makes you that much more lovable. But yeah. yes, so, so it's yeah. a lot. Introducing myself, yeah. So I'm originally Jordanian-Palestinian. So I've been living in Australia for five years and shit, I just got my residency as well. Which is insane. It's been such a, a trip. Um, yeah, you can hear me around with Peking Dark and, and Abby Chatfield. I'm also like, love composing music for podcasts. Mm-hmm. I've done like... A million random things, like my CV does not look very, you know, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's very eclectic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think just in the podcasting, I've been popping more and more in when I have something to say or something to laugh about. Mm-hmm. And I'm obsessed with this podcast. I'm obsessed with your brain Shush. and your ability. No, I have to. <laughs> your ability to like, you know, a lot of people do research and try to find out how things are. And as somebody who does podcasts and listens to podcasts, I'm always wondering, fine, you're excellent as, as a researcher, but mm. how the hell do you latch on to that information and remember it? Mm. And as you're able to create. So I wrote a song about it. <gasps> <laughs> Stop it. Yes, I have. And I brought my guitar. Oh, lamb. Um, oh. And in oh. the spirit of Dolly Parton. Oh, I am. This is too much. I'm dying. I, this is a cover of a Dolly song. Oh! And I have changed the words. Sorry to everyone's eardrums. <laughs> <laughs> this is so great. I actually don't know if it's the guitar is heard or not. Maybe. Yeah, I think it is. All right. It's coming up. Yep. Okay, great. look, it's going to sound a little bit shitty. I might fuck it up in the, in the middle because I just literally like wrote this yesterday, but it's about you oh. and my obsession with your brain. Okay. <gasps> When I started listening to just the gist, a little tiny part of me, I will admit, got so confused. There was something going on. 
Don't know if it's Wikipedia can explain <laughs> how he stores up all the info in his brain. Whatever <laughs> it is, he's got something going on. I just wanna say that I'm so jealous. Wish my brain would. Wish my brain would latch on to his We sink information Ha ha It'll take years but he's so patient Ha ha Jacob knows his shit <laughs> Really knows his shit Though he won't admit That his brain is sick Sail away with him To another world And you rely on his knowledge Aha. Ten times better than a college Aha. I'm so jealous <laughs> Told you I'll fuck it up in the middle, but it's okay. That it was sensational. <laughs> oh, I knew you were musically gifted, but wow. I had to get that off from oh. the beginning because I'm like, I don't want to be thinking about having to do this. Uh-huh. Laptop off. Well done. Thank oh, you. it's like Dolly was in the room with us. <laughs> Not I Dolly. felt her very presence. <laughs> You're channeling her. You've got the giggle. You've got the volume in your hair. And the titties. I You've have to point the out the titties. I did actually get the titties out today for Dolly. Lem's dressed like a country girl as well. Yeah. With the, um, <laughs> the shirt tied up in front and the acid wash jeans. Yes. Perfect. Thank you so much. That is one of the greatest gifts I've ever received from anyone. I can't wait to listen to that on loop. I have recorded it for Lindsay and she can mm-hmm. send it to you. <laughs> Get out of town. I'm so thrilled. Okay, we can just wrap it up there now. <laughs> I'm content with that. I'm sure the gistons are as well. No, absolutely not. We need to ask you to tell us two truths and a lie to get to know you a little bit better. Oh. If you're prepared. No, I'm not, but I'll think of something. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mention that. No, no, I actually forgot. Um, all right. Two truths and a lie. Mm. I once got caught by Jordanian police making out with a chick in the backseat of my car and almost got arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot at all and have never, I think in the past maybe 30 years or maybe no, 25 years have had tuna. <laughs> I cannot have tuna. I have not had it since. Mm-hmm. Like I was six probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third one is that I'm not able to burp at all, like medically. I'm not able to. There is a, there is actually treatment for it, which is actually Stop. putting Botox in your throat. Get out. But <laughs> <laughs> injecting yourself with Botox. So, yeah, these are the three things. Being arrested by Jordanian police for kissing a woman in the backseat of my car. Um, which I know is true. And, and what? Sorry, I know that's true. <laughs> Because I listened to your episode where Abby interviewed you on It's A Lot. I actually called that out here on, um, what's our show called? Just The Gist. (laughs) It was one of my favorite episodes, probably my number one favorite episode of It's A Lot from the last few years. That's a big one. Um, And we recommended everyone go and listen to it. And thank you for reminding me. I want to remind everyone, (laughs) if you've not done your homework yet, you need to go and listen to that to understand Lem's experience in the area she grew up, especially growing up as someone queer. Um, and then what it's like to come to Australia as yeah. a refugee. It is so insightful and you need to hear Lem tell that story in her own words. So please go and do that. So I know that's the truth. Damn it. As for the tuna, 
Yeah. Was it a food poisoning um, experience that turned no, you off? No, it, it's it's basically uh, my mum is obsessed with uh, feeding me as a child mm. and would not take no for an answer. I don't know if anybody had a similar childhood. And so I just, there are certain foods that I cannot eat as a result of being force-fed, okay. including grapes oh. and tuna. Okay. Yeah. It's very bizarre, I know. Uh-huh. I'm a fussy eater myself. Yeah. So okay, can, I'm very I, fussy. I can believe that. Um, and, and the third is the burping. The burping. And medically, I'm not able to burp. Like, <laughs> I know some people who would opt to get Botox in the back of their throat for very, very different reasons. <laughs> um, I just don't know whether it's a true thing that exists or not. I'm calling that a lie. Lindsay, what do you think? I'm going to call tuna a lie. For some reason, I have this niggling memory in the back of my mind of Lem and I talking about an episode of the podcast Reply All, where they did a story about someone not being able to burp. Mm. I remember having that conversation with somebody and I'm just going to put two and two together and assume it was Lem. So I'm going to say tuna is a lie. Okay. Who wins? Oh, shit, I can't burp. I was going to burp. <laughs> I was going to actually like have a good sip of beer and then actually burp as a reply. Oh. Uh, I can burp. Yes, it is the tuna that uh, is correct uh-huh. and the burping is incorrect. I fart and I burp. Congratulations. I'm very proud to say that. Yes, Lucky I'm a bit you. vulgar. Yes. <laughs> She's not single, though, unfortunately, <laughs> folks. Um, congratulations, yeah. Lindsay. I think, I mean, we haven't really been keeping score, but I've got a feeling that you've won. I'm it's getting the last better. School and yeah. I think you've won. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> terrific. She's, yeah, it's a bit, she's got an unfair advantage over you. She sits right next to me in the mm. office. So. That is very true. Just but saying. It's okay. I'm happy to give you the win. <laughs> You've earned it. You really have. And by Thank the you. way, listeners, um, in an hour and a half, we're going to find out whether Winsy wins. Uh, Winsy wins. <laughs> Winsy wins MVP for the listener team for the year. Oh, so. if I don't, I'm cutting this out. <laughs> <laughs> if you're hearing this now, it means she won. Okay, are we ready? Yes. 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 Oh, mercy. Yeah, yeah. Good golly. It's darling. <laughs> Let's go. I have been waiting to do this for well over a year. Back in September of 2021, you might be aware I served up just the gist of Share. Mm-hmm. That was our Share episode. The gistners loved it. And about 200 of them then got in touch with me to very enthusiastically request that I do Dolly next. Okay. So, Thank you for your patience, Gistners. The Dolly Sode is finally here. They call her the Backwoods Barbie. They call her the Smoky Mountain Songbird. They call her the Queen of Country Music. And some call her the Dolly Lama. <laughs> We're only going to scratch the tip of the iceberg with an acrylic fingernail here. There is just so <laughs> much fingernail. to say. She is one of the greatest legends in entertainment history, one of the most beloved people on the planet, probably the most beloved person on the planet. There is a whole university course and a podcast series, yes, that just examine Dolly's allure and her universal popularity because everyone, regardless of your walk of life, regardless of your religion, upbringing, age, ethnicity, chances are you love Dolly Parton even if you don't particularly like country music. That is very true, actually, mm. I have to say, because I don't listen to country a lot, I have to say, but she does draw on a lot of folk, which she probably might get into. Mm-hmm. And that is just something that's universal. Like, everybody's going to listen to that. Yep. There's something about her that resonates with almost every single yeah, human on 100%. the planet. She plays more than 20 instruments. <gasps> wow. She's written more than 3,000 <gasps> songs. 
She's won more awards than any person could possibly count. Michael Jackson. More uh, than Michael Jackson. Probably at this point, yeah. For her prolific songwriting, yeah. honestly, there's just... I tried to tally them all up into... If I can't do it, no one can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people true, write yeah. songs about the way my brain works. <laughs> um, yeah, I gave up on that. So just lots and lots of awards. Um, and, of course, she sold hundreds of millions of records over the years. Yeah. This is just the gist of Dr. Dolly. Yes, she was awarded an honorary doctorate. This is Dr. Dolly Parton's rise <laughs> from rags to rhinestones and riches and some of the highlights and lowlights along the way. So question, Lindsay. Lem, what's your relationship with Dolly Parton? Okay, obviously her music. Like, I think I know probably more of the more of the popular ones. Mm-hmm. I also know that she wrote a lot of songs that she not necessarily like. She didn't mm-hmm. sing them. Yep. Um, I also know that she, I guess, is like the OG influencer. I would say, like, mm-hmm. you know, the way she uh, dealt with the record industry and really took the reins and mm-hmm. really was like. You know, I kind of really went into into that, not the research about her life, but as it was more about how much she's impacted um, the recording industry. Mm. Because like, you know, probably back then where she grew up, like a singer didn't used to write their own songs and mm. just go there and get the royalties. Mm. But she is such a sharp woman. And I think she's a businesswoman as well as a songwriter and singer and showwoman and everything. So yeah, she just got... All, All the pies. She's got true. her, what is it, finger, toe? What? <laughs> in it. Like yes. she's that kind of woman. Dolly pie hands. Hands in the pies. Yeah. Uh, yes, all of the things you just said, absolutely true. Total trailblazer. Taylor Swift wouldn't have been able to do everything and she's oh, done yeah. anywhere near as smoothly if Dolly hadn't, you know, carved out way, that yeah. path decades earlier. Yeah. Um, and Dolly really did defy convention because, you know, mm. it was a very much a male-dominated industry and she managed to push her way to yeah. the top of them. Yeah. How about you, Lindsay? What's your relationship with Dolly? I don't really have much of a relationship with her. Obviously, I know her, like, hits, like her bangers, mm. but never really listened to her growing up. I listened to Dolly Parton's America a few years ago when it came mm. out, and I really love that. But no, she's never really been on my radar. Mm-hmm. Not mm. because I didn't like her or because I don't think that she is worth it, just because I listen to such a small amount of mm. music, and most of it is Guy Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> Still Never learning about that. Lindsay. That is another <laughs> layer of the onion that we just peeled back there and we'll explore that a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, okay, but that is the thing about Dolly. She has permeated the culture to the point that everyone knows mm. her mm. songs, even the people, several yeah. of them, and sometimes they don't even realise it's a Dolly Parton song like I Will Always Love You. Very few people I realize. knew that actually. Good. I knew that because I saw the original, which was very different from Whitney, but also the way she talks about the song too is, you know, she's so, she probably... We'll get to talking about okay, that. Okay, damn it. So, okay, shut yeah, up. Then. We'll circle yes. back to that then. Um, but yeah, her bangers, universal. And then, yeah, everyone is at least tangentially mm. aware of yeah. who Dolly Parton is. And most people, even if they don't know a lot, they feel positive sentiments mm-hmm. towards mm. her. We'll also talk a little bit later on about that podcast series Lindsay mentioned, mm. Dolly Parton's America, because it is amazing and you will all want to go and listen to that after I've had my little rant about <laughs> Dolly. I'm excited. All right, let's go back 76 years in time. 76. 
1946, January, this is when Dolly is born, almost exactly four months before Cher and almost exactly one year before Elton John. They were all born in that 12-month period, all three of them original baby boomers. 46 was the year the baby boom commenced. Mm. Dolly's parents were poor, like she says dirt poor, and Dolly was their fourth kid already. Her mum was only 19 at the time. Dad was 21. They got married when mum was 15, dad was 17, and just started popping out a baby every year from then on. They lived in this tiny little one-room shack on a very remote farm in the Smoky Mountains of East Tennessee in a county that today has fewer than 500 residents, obviously was much smaller back then. And famously, when Dolly was born, they had to pay the doctor who delivered her with a bag full of cornmeal because that's all they had to spare. Um, And she's joked about that her entire time, that they paid for her with flour and she's been rolling in the dough for the last couple of decades. Yeah. Uh, Their family kept growing and growing. Eventually there were 12 kids in the Parton household. And she says herself, most people assume that her parents must have been Catholics, but Mm. no, they were just a pair of horny hillbillies. (laughs) (laughs) No contraception? Or like, okay, no. I think they were just horny. (laughs) And um, yeah, apparently one time Dolly found a diaphragm in her mum's drawer and she was like, well... I don't know why it was there or what she was using it for. She certainly wasn't inserting it in itself. Um, Yeah, they had a pretty tough life on the farm, but they were very happy. Um, When I say tough, I mean no running water. And for most of Dolly's childhood, they didn't have electricity. And as soon as the kids could walk and hold a tool, they were expected to help out with the farm work. As the family grew, they upgraded from a one-room shack to a two-room shack and then, ooh, a three-room shack. With but 12 kids, that's still not enough. Exactly, I have yes. two and I feel like I need a four-room shack. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really, really difficult to heat the space yeah. as well. So, like, it actually worked in their favour, I guess, that they all had to huddle oh, together yeah. four or five to a bed to keep warm. Attention was obviously a very rare commodity in a household that crowded. Mm. Dolly craved attention like most Capricorns do and she figured out a good way to get attention when she was about four years old. She learned to sing the folk songs her mother used to hang around the house singing all day long Right, and she was surprisingly good for her age and her cute little voice got her lots of praise from the rest of the family and visitors who'd come around so she kept on singing and sort of improving and improving Then when she was five, she upped her game and started making up her own songs. She came up with her own melodies. Yes. With perfect rhymes and these lyrics she'd come up with for herself. She hadn't even started school yet, so she couldn't read or write, but she had this natural talent for rhyming words and inventing little tunes. So that novel skill got her even more attention from her family and from her neighbours. And so that's when she kind of caught the bug. From five years old, that's when she knew she wanted to sing and to write music every day of her life, and she did. Every single day, she'd force her siblings into either being her audience or being her backup (laughs) singers, and if they weren't around, she'd perform for the chickens in the backyard. Once a week, the highlight of her life was going and singing in the church where her grandpa was a preacher, because then she had an audience of like 40 people to perform for. Now... I would have found a kid like this so incredibly irritating (laughs) if it was in my sphere. And in a couple of years, my friend's kids are probably going to be around this age. And if they start acting like that, I'm going to give them a really, really wide berth. (laughs) 
Lucky for Dolly, though, she had an uncle who was really impressed by okay. what she was able to do. He could see she was something special and he became her champion from very early on. Um, yes, Uncle Billy. Dolly has said many times if it wasn't for her Uncle Billy's support, she might not have a career in music to speak of. A lot of kids have musical gifts, but they don't have anyone like him to help lead them on the right path. Uncle Billy, fortunately, worked in the music industry. He was an active songwriter, musician and performer himself. He loved how unique and how pure Dolly's little voice was and he was objectively impressed with the songs she was able to come up with regardless of her age. And when Dolly was eight, Billy found out that she'd tried to make her own guitar out of pieces of old broken instruments. And that's when he could tell, this kid is born for music. And he bought her a real guitar and started teaching her how to play. And Dolly was just beyond thrilled. She dedicated herself to mastering that guitar. She practiced for hours every single day, playing until her little fingers literally bled all over the strings. Her uncle had told her she needed to keep playing Till she developed calluses yeah. on her fingers. Mm. Obviously, you play the guitar. It was so hard know. at the beginning. Yeah. yeah, I mean, these are nylon strings because, <laughs> mm. like, if they're very soft. It's actually quite the steel ones are quite. Mm. Oh, oh yeah, man! Tough. All yeah. the money we pay on the kids to learn and <laughs> just look at her like no money, no classes. She's just doing it by herself. Yeah, practicing and learning as she went along. She could just tell what sounded right, what sounded wrong. It's wild. Um, mostly self-taught. She doesn't know how to read sheet uh, read sheet music. I mean, I'm not surprised. Mm. What the hell? It's all just by ear. It's incredible. So she kept playing till she developed those calluses and Dolly and Billy wrote heaps of songs together over the next few years and he taught her all about the industry and who the big stars were. He helped get her opportunities to sing on local radio stations. He kept getting out there and advocating for her and when she was 10, he got her a spot on a very popular country music show on TV Her family did not even own a TV and she was going to go and perform for the country and they wouldn't even be able to watch the show themselves, which was a real shame because she was a hit, partly because she was a novelty act being so young, but mostly because of that really distinctive voice and she just had this amazing natural presence on the stage and in front of the cameras. So, of course, she kept booking gigs on radio and on TV, and that meant some weeks she was making quite a bit more money than her father was no. making. She'd become the breadwinner for her family at, like, 10, 11, 12 right. years old. The pressure, though. Mm. She rose to the occasion. Yeah. Uh, when she was about 13, Uncle Billy introduced Dolly to Johnny Cash, who was an mm, absolute legend at the time, Johnny. obviously. And Johnny helped get Dolly a spot on the biggest country music TV show in the country called The Grand Old Opry. And that was the show that her family listened to every single week without fail on the radio. To Dolly, this was like being cast as the lead in a Spielberg movie or like making it to Broadway. This was it for her. This was the pinnacle and she didn't think she'd ever be able to like go any further than this and she was content. She was so good on the Grand Ole Opry. When she finished her debut performance, the audience demanded three encores from her. She's got goosebumps. That's insane. Amazing. She was on such a high and then two days later had to go back to school. Oh, oh my God. You you, you scared me there. I thought like two days later her uncle died. I was just like, no. (laughs) No, no, no. She went back to school. Not quite that tragic. Yeah, okay. Just, yeah. Back to normalcy. 
back to reality. Mm. And she really, really wanted to drop out because for the last few years she'd been getting bullied pretty brutally by really? the other kids. Yeah, because she was such an outlier and, yeah. you know, because she was famous and that made her different. Mm. The fact that she was ambitious, she was ostracized yeah. and treated really badly. Like kids spread these foul rumors about her and physically yeah. hit her and locked her in cupboards and whatnot. So... Obviously, she was miserable, but she decided to stick it out till graduations for two main reasons. Number one, she didn't want to let the bullies win. She wasn't going to give them that victory, so she was going to stay there till the very end. And also, thankfully, all the new contacts she'd made in the music industry told her she really needed to make sure she had an education so that she'd be able to navigate show business without mm -hmm. getting eaten alive. Yeah. 1964 rolled around, finally graduation day came and Dolly was in this really small class. So as part of their graduation ceremony, each of the kids got to get up and announce their plans when they received their diploma while they were up on stage. And of course, everyone had clapped for them. Most of the kids said something like, I'm going to go and work on a farm in this county, or I'm going to go work in this factory, or I'm going to get married and start having babies. Dolly got up and announced that her plan was to move to Nashville and become a star, mm. and everyone in the audience laughed, cackled at her. And this is despite the fact that she'd been on TV mm. regularly for the last eight years. She still was in this community where people believed, you're never, ever going to make it. She didn't let that get to her at all. The very next morning, she got on a bus to Nashville using paper brown bags as her luggage. And when she got there to Nashville, she found herself a cheap trailer to rent. And she spent the next year living the life of a starving artist. She occasionally worked as a babysitter to pay her rent. And she fed herself by doing some light shoplifting here and there from supermarkets. <laughs> um, she'd also go to hotels and scavenge leftovers from the room service trays that had been left outside the rooms. She just did what she needed to do to get by. It was really, really tough and very competitive. Yeah. About a thousand people moved to Nashville every single day or maybe it's every single week, but a lot of them and 99.9% .9 of them don't make it and leave before was, their first year is up. Was it normal for women specifically or girls or, you know, whatever her age mm. to be on their own? In that place, or it's that's a really good point. Mm, probably I don't know. not in the South in the sixties. Yeah, this problem. She probably was an outlier. I'd say. Yeah. Um, she had her uncle Billy sort of coming and going from Nashville to help her out, but for most of the time, she was on her own out there walking the streets trying to sell her songs, and she wasn't getting a lot of money for it because she was an unknown female artist. Yeah. She'd just take what she could get. She made it through that first year. And then in 1965, she signed a recording contract. However, despite her dreams of being a country singer, the record execs believed, based on the high pitch of her voice and her sort of blonde, curvaceous look, they thought that she'd do better in like a bubblegum pop slash rock oh. type genre. Yeah. They just couldn't believe that she'd ever be taken seriously as a country artist mm. singing about sad topics that mm. you know most country was about back then. So she agreed to give pop music a, a try. None of her singles made it anywhere near the charts, whereas the country songs she was writing for other singers were doing quite well. So the label decided, right. all right, we'll let you have a go at country. 
and she recorded and released her first full album called Hello, I'm Dolly. Yeah. In 1966, most of the songs were written by Dolly and her uncle Billy. The first single from that album was called Dumb Blonde, (laughs) and it's this brilliant anthem that basically says don't underestimate me based on my looks. And it wasn't a song she'd written. It was one that she chose because she wanted to arrive on the country charts with a very clear message, this dumb blonde ain't nobody's fool. And it charted really well. And this was the first time that Dolly's name was getting up there in the charts. Things were really starting to take off for her. After only a relatively short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, career's just about to take off after about two years in Nashville. We'll just take a quick little detour into her personal life and what was going on at that time because she'd already met the man she was going to marry. In fact, she met him on the very first day after she arrived in Nashville. His name is Carl Dean, and I want to tell you about their meet-cute because, honestly, I find it disturbing. Picture Dolly killing time outside the wishy-washy laundromat, drinking a soda, waiting for her clothes to dry inside. And this guy, Carl, drove past in his truck and yelled something flirty out to Dolly about her outfit. It was something along the lines of she was going to get sunburnt showing so much skin because, you know, big boobs and she was wearing something kind of low cut and little shorty shorts. She just politely smiled and waved at him out of habit because that's what country folk do. And she was so used to people commenting on her boobs Mm. in particular that it just didn't register with her most of the time. She'd had her boobs since she was about 12. Oh, so they're real? Oh, yeah. Why did I think they weren't real this whole time? Mm. She's had them augmented over the last couple of decades. All right. But yeah, before breast implants were a thing, she had a real set. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this random guy then parked his car walked back to the laundromat and started chatting to Dolly. She then tried to say goodbye and went inside. He followed her. He stood there and helped her fold her laundry. Then he walked her all the way home. This is what I say, what I mean when I say I'm glad she made it out alive because that sounds like the setup of like a murder mystery. He kept asking her questions and then he seemed to be genuinely interested in what she had to say and he was looking at her eyes and he was looking at her mouth. Right. And he was, you he know, stopped looking at her asking breasts, follow basically. up questions. Yeah. Exactly. She was used <laughs> yeah. to men just ogling her mm-hmm. tatas. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. had this guy who actually seemed to have some curiosity about mm. her and what was going on in her life. So she found him to be really charming because he was completely different from almost all the other boys. I mean, that's a very met. good way of vetting the guys, you know, mm. just put your titties out, see if they're going to like look where they're going to look. And if mm-hmm. they're not looking at the titties, you know, they're gay. <laughs> what I was saying, but yes. Actually, the gays love staring at Iraq. Let's be real. That is true. That has happened to me as well. Once he knew where she lived, he started visiting her every single day. And then after a few weeks, he finally invited her out for a proper date. And she got all excited thinking that they might be going to a nice restaurant. Oh no, what did you do? He took her to his family home. He didn't introduce her to anyone. He just announced... Mama, fix this little gal a plate. She's the one I'm going to marry. Oh, my God. Yes, Dolly gasped just (laughs) like that because they hadn't even kissed yet. They weren't like boyfriend-girlfriend. He was just this guy who was coming around to visit her every single day. When the time came for him to propose to Dolly, there was no ring. There was no romance. He was just like, you live too far away. We should get married so we can move in together. 
And Dolly was completely shocked because he'd never said anything along the lines of I love you. But she accepted and they started making plans for a wedding. And when she told her producer, he told her, you should really wait another few years. You are so much more marketable as a single woman than as a married woman. So she agreed to wait. But then she and Carl snuck off interstate to elope. They had this tiny little ceremony in a tiny chapel in a tiny town in Georgia. And then they had a two-hour honeymoon and then drove back to work in Nashville the next morning and didn't tell anyone. They kept it a secret for the next few Low years. Low maintenance girl, no 200 guests. That's right. None of that buffet, mm-hmm. nothing. Just doing it quick, two yep. hours, that's it. Got her mum to make her a little frock. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> out of curiosity, back then, and I don't know if this is part of your research, but yes, my mind skews to sex often. Mm-hmm. Was there was sex before marriage a thing? Like, was it, were they trying to get married so they can have sex? Mm-hmm. Or was it just more about... The marriage itself, like, did it say anything about that anywhere? Because I know you said she's not Catholic. Dolly's very, very open about this. Okay. In fact, when you read her autobiography in, like, the first couple of paragraphs, she says the three most important things to me in the world are God, music, and sex. You go, girl. And she has been (laughs) a very sexual being from a very, very young age and talks openly about learning to masturbate. And, um, yeah, she had a bunch of sexual partners and boyfriends before Carl. Mm. Interesting that you bring that up, actually. After they'd been married for about a year, Carl asked her whether she'd been with any men before him. You wait a year, dude. You do that on the third date, maybe? But (laughs) a year. Dolly was curious where it came out of. She thinks maybe it's because she was quite sexually adventurous Mm. and that had sort of escalated over the course of those 12 months they'd been married. And when their anniversary came around, he was curious. He asked the question. She was honest. He was heartbroken. Completely hypocritical because he wasn't a virgin, but for some reason he thought that he deserved some pure angel and he was incredibly disappointed. It was like he'd sort of been tricked. Dolly then, I'm jumping ahead in time here, we'll loop back in a second, but she wrote an incredible song called Just Because I'm a Woman, which is basically her response to his response to her telling the truth, which basically says... My mistakes are no worse than yours just because I'm a woman. And it's all about women being held to a completely different standard to men. Um, It's magical and you need to go and listen to it. I will definitely listen to this. I mean, all of you listeners need to do exactly that. That's the context for that incredible song. The amazing thing is, she doesn't call herself a feminist. In fact, she actively says, I am not a feminist. But she does and says so many feminist things. Maybe she doesn't resonate with the, like the first wave of feminism and she's not really into that nuance and that's why. Yeah, she thinks the word still has connotations to hating men and she just doesn't hate anybody. Yeah, right. but she's absolutely 100% without a doubt a feminist. Okay, mm. even though she doesn't want to be called like that's that. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dolly, if the bra fits. I know you said it was a nightmare fuel, that story, but if I could sit outside of a laundromat and never get on a dating app ever again, <laughs> I would take it. <laughs> That's such it a good doesn't one. sound too bad to yeah, me. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Look, my grandfather and my grandma like met as a result of her being stalked by him. Oh. Like literally him watching her from his like room window and <gasps> then just over three years. Oh. Like just was stalking her and then they met each other and she's just like, That's commitment, you know? <laughs> My God. But yeah, I think back then, no Tinder. Yeah, yeah. No Bumble. So much of Nothing. old world romance. But yes, I agree today. with you. I agree with you. Laundromat any any day. 
but yeah. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us back to where we needed to be <laughs> as well, Lindsay. Uh, so yeah, they got married. They kept it a secret from everyone. And eventually they ended up telling the world. But even then, Carl stayed far, far, far away from the spotlight from the very beginning. He told Dolly that he did not want to be in the public eye. She could get as famous as she wanted to get. He just didn't want any of it for himself. He'd never go to any events, any parties, certainly wouldn't ever appear on TV with her. And Dolly was like, yep, cool. That works for me. I'll be able to keep my private life private and I can do whatever I want with my public life. And it has worked really, really well for them because they're still together today. I didn't know they were still together. Mm -hmm. I was like the pessimist in me was Mm. just like, nah. They're mm. gonna, they're gonna break up. Like, mm. come on, they're like different worlds. It's long distance. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It works for them. She loves to travel. He never wants to leave the house, and they're happy to have that time apart. So then they miss each other, and then when they do come together, they enjoy each other. That and they're much not more. open. Okay, that's debatable. Yeah, um, there okay. are some people when they. I mean, she's never said. You yeah. know, I am in an open relationship, but there's a lot of things that can be interpreted as right. her saying that. Right. Plus the fact that she talks about being such a sexual person, but mm. then going eight months of the year without seeing her husband, it's sort of like, well, mm. there's clearly some sort of... I wanted to, thing. at the very beginning, when you talked about her conversation with him about that, I was like, maybe she should have lyrics like, my hymen can say hi to any man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. She's already written a book of dollyisms, but that can go into volume two. In fact, that can be the title. (laughs) Go on to the more serious things. Brilliant. Um, Okay, so back to Dolly's career. 1967, this was when things really took off. She was very surprised and very flattered when she was offered the role of girl singer on the number one highest rated TV show in the USA, the Porter Wagner show. Most of us probably don't know no. anything at all. That was like Saturday Night Live, like what's mm-hmm. happening? Okay, yeah. Yeah. At the time, he was absolutely huge in country music. He had millions of fans all across North America and his TV show was like a hybrid of um, live TV and radio shows and also a live touring show was okay. what the sort of ecosystem of the Porter Wagner show included. And as the girl singer on the show, Dolly was the token female on stage, one and only. And she was really just there most of the time as an accessory, an ornament, um, just a little bit of eye candy. But the audience just didn't like her because she'd been brought in quite suddenly. So it was a bit of a shock to the audience. She was brought in to replace the previous girl singer, Mm. a woman named Norma Jean. Oh, Norma Jean? Not that Norma Jean. (laughs) Not Marilyn. Okay, okay. Dolly came in and it was just really jarring. The audience would have wanted something that was quite familiar because Norma Jean was brunette and she was quite slim and she had a very low voice. And then you get this big blonde bouffant on this busty woman who's got quite a high-pitched voice. Mm. They were just at opposite ends of the spectrum. And so the audience found it really alienating, which was heartbreaking for Dolly because she was so hopeful this was going to be her big break on a national stage. But after weeks of being booed, it was starting to look like she was going to get fired. But thankfully, Porter believed in her and he kept her in the show because he knew eventually she was going to win the audience over. And to make that happen, he started doing duets with her on the show. Right. And those duets then became a gateway drug into people enjoying hearing Dolly sing solo. 
And so after a year of using that formula, Dolly really started to emerge as a fan favourite on Mm. the show. They kept releasing these super successful duet albums over the next few years and Porter also produced Dolly's solo albums. And the two of them had a very tumultuous, passionate relationship, both professionally and also personally. Okay. They clashed over a lot of artistic decisions, but they also collaborated really wonderfully. Dolly'd always been really clear that she only intended to stay on Porter's show for a maximum of five years. She saw herself as a solo act, so she was clear from the beginning, I'm only going to hang around for a certain amount of time. As they came to the four-year mark in 1971, it was clear at that point that Dolly was the real star of the Porter Wagner show. Um, That year, part of what saw her popularity skyrocket was that she released one of her favourite songs of her career, Code of Many Colours. Have you heard of that one? Yeah. Um, That just bound her fans to her so tightly because it's such an That's a folk song, right, that she covered? Yeah. No, she wrote it. Oh, she wrote that. Yeah. Okay. She wrote it about a coat that her mother made from um, rags for her, rags that the community had donated to them. Yeah. She was so proud of it and she wore it to school and the kids teased her, but she still loved it because she knew her mother had made it with so much love. um, Yeah, all these themes of shame and poverty, they resonated with her audience so deeply and that just sort of brought her up to God-level status in a lot of people's minds. So people were tuning in to see Dolly's Porter was jealous all along. That's why he was being, like, nasty to her. Yeah, particularly this is very much like the Sonny and Cher dynamic that started mm. to emerge where when the girl starts to get all the glory yeah. um, and starts to cast a shadow on the guy, he doesn't take it particularly well. And starts emotionally abusing her. That's right. Yeah. On screen and off screen. Mm-hmm. Like on screen, he, really? would, he started negging her like in front of the audience on live TV and she'd bite back and then he'd bite back. <laughs> Again, okay. and he just, you know, sometimes it was subtle little put downs, like just calling her kid or kiddo, um, telling right. her to put her guitar down because he's got this song and she doesn't mm. need to worry about playing along in this one. She can just sit this one out. He'd cut her off mid-sentence all the time, like just really childish yeah. garbage. Um, and she maintained her dignity throughout mm. the whole thing, of course. He looks like a jag, but she looks fantastic. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it just made Dolly think very seriously about her exit strategy. And, of course, Porter could feel her pulling away and things got more and more tense. He really saw her as his property because he'd made her and she was Mm. on his show. So he didn't want her going anywhere, even though he couldn't stand the fact that she was outshining him. It took Dolly the next three years of hard work trying to get out the door before she finally was able to get out. Porter managed to keep manipulating her into staying because he just really wanted to hang on to the goose that lay the golden eggs. And again, Sonny Bono did the same thing to share. But then late 1973, Dolly had a huge hit with Jolene. Yay! Yes! Absolutely massive. This was her first time that she charted really highly in the overall Billboard chart, not just going to number one in the country chart. So she was starting to cross over into pop. And that success made it clear to her, okay, it's time. i got to go. I've been here way too long. Quick detour into the backstory of Jolene. Do we know anything about it? I From the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, sorry. Okay, you That's go. That's okay. So 
I mean, it started off with something quite innocent that she noticed Carl Dean was going down to the bank quite a lot, even mm. though they didn't really have that much money. So she went down to the bank with him one time and she got to see the teller behind the counter who had these flaming locks of auburn hair and right. skin of ivory. And um, Carl is apparently a bit of a natural flirt and so he was Ooh. getting a bit flirty with hmm. her. It was all very, very innocent, but she was just like, huh, hmm, cute. Filed it away in her brain for a couple of years. And then she was on tour and she met this little girl who came to get an autograph signed, little 10-year-old girl. And she asked the girl her name and the girl said, Julene. And because she had a different accent being from a different part of the country, Dolly heard Jolene. And so Dolly was like, oh, that's such a gorgeous name. I've never heard the name Jolene before. And the little girl didn't realize Dolly was saying mm. Jolene, not Julene, so didn't correct her. Um, and Dolly was like, is your dad named Joe and you're named after him? <laughs> and the little girl was like, no, that doesn't even make sense. Um, and then Dolly said, I'm going to write a song about Jolene and when you hear it, you'll know that it's about you. And she signed the autograph and the little girl walked away and as she walked away, she looked down at the autograph and saw that Dolly had written Jolene instead of Julene, thought about going back and getting it corrected and then just went, oh, nah. Meanwhile, Dolly's walked off and to make sure she remembered the name, she just kept saying to herself, Jolene, 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 Jolene. And then she just sort of kept that little melody in her yeah. head, kept the name in her head, rattling around, thinking, how can I attach this to a, a story? All of my songs mm. need to tell a story. And so she then exaggerated the story of the um, husband right. who'd been seduced by the bank teller and that's the character she created, wow. Jolene. But yeah, in another universe, Jolene is Jolene. Hmm. Oh my God. And I've heard an interview with the woman called Jolene. <gasps> no way! The actual 10 year old. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking, like, the 10 year old, like, damn it, she got my name wrong now. There's like copyrights that I can't really. No, you can't really do copyrights <laughs> no. over the name, right? No, no. But but oh my can you imagine God. Imagine how valuable that autograph is. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Does she have it still? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. But what's fascinating is, like, a real testament to her songwriting is actually writing as a result of a situation that she can also amplify, not mm. just document what's happening. Mm. You know, a lot of people are like, you have to go through heartbreak. You have mm. to go through this to like write a song. But actually you can kind of imagine a worst yeah. case situation or yes. take a real life story and then like really milk it. Yeah. And that basically is what you're saying, yeah. right? Because she is such an open empath, she mm. can put herself in the shoes of anybody and she can write songs from the perspective of... 75-year-old men, 12-year-old boys, 50-year-old women, like people who've lived experiences that she never has, but she can imagine it so clearly that she can write really vivid songs. Yeah. So Jolene, huge hit. Dolly was determined. She had to go now. She had this heat. She had this momentum and she needed to get through to Porter that she was going to leave. To help him finally accept that she was going to go, Dolly decided to sing her two weeks notice to him. <laughs> In a little really? song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She used a little song she'd written <laughs> on the same day that she wrote Jolene. I think you might have heard of it. I Will Always Love You. Oh. That was her breakup song to Porter. Yes. And we believe that they were written on the same day. They were certainly recorded on the same day, Big one day after the Jolie. other. She went through and like archived her demo tapes and there was Jolene. And then there was Holy I shit. Was Always Love You. 
And it, when she looked in her notepad, it was on one page and then the next page. So if it wasn't written on the same day, it was written on consecutive days. Well, right? She just had mm-hmm. that writing, you know, yep. epiphany moment where she just, oh my God. And and I, the whole time I thought I will always love you is for like a lover, like mm. a man. Nope. And it's just like her boss. Yep. If I should stay, I would only be in your way, so I'll go, but I know. Imagine how awkward it is to sing it to our boss before we leave. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Sam. Yeah. (laughs) If I... Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So she'd written it a little while earlier, but she'd sort of sat on it until the right time. She'd never played it for anyone. So the first time she played it was when she went into Porter's office and told him to sit down and just listen. She played the song through to the very end. He stayed silent little tear rolled down his eyes and he went, that was beautiful. I'll let you go. As long as I get to produce the song. Really? Yeah, because he could tell it was going to be a hit. And he was right. But Dolly agreed, whatever he needed to let her out of this toxic relationship and give her back her To feed his ego, basically. That Yeah. That's right. But and anyway. his greed. And his greed, her, that's true. To her, though, it was just about, yeah. I just need to get that's out That's my ticket here. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. She released I Will Always Love You. Of course, it was a big hit for her and a few other artists did cover versions of it that were very successful as well. And then Dolly got a phone call from Elvis Presley saying that he wanted to release a cover version of it because he just loved the song. He sang it to um, Priscilla as they were leaving the divorce court when they separated. That's insane. Um, And it would mean so much to him if he could release this song. Dolly was chuffed. She was a big Elvis fan. And this could also be really huge for her. Mm. But then Elvis's manager, Colonel Tom Parker, we did an episode yeah, on I him Yeah, I know, I heard that episode. Back. Yeah. Such a cool episode. Real piece of work. He yeah. demanded that Dolly sign over 50% of the ownership of the song oh, to Elvis. Off. He said that was just standard operating procedure for any songwriter who worked with Elvis. Elvis got 50% of the song Damn. in perpetuity. And Dolly's gut told her, no, don't do it, don't do it. So she turned Elvis down. And That's why I'm like, I didn't hear that version mm. and this whole time. What could have been, it would have been amazing, but she would have had to give away one of her babies. Mm, and, yeah. you know, that was, she couldn't give away any of her songs, especially you not one that was girl. so personal to her. Yeah. And, you know, she had these big industry players applying this pressure to her and telling her mm. she was insane. But she just said, no, my gut is telling me that I need to hang on to this song. And boy, oh boy, was she right, because 20 years later, Miss Whitney Elizabeth Houston was going to make Whitney a lot of money because she hung on to those rights. So Dolly was free, sort of. Porter was still a producer for a lot of her songs for the next few years, and then after a time, he ended up suing her for $3 million that he felt she'd stolen from him (laughs) when she went out on her own, and he started slandering her name all across the country. She agreed to pay him a million dollars just to shut him up, which almost destroyed her financially at mm. that time. She didn't have that money, but she did it just to make a statement that she that said, all I want is you out of my life, whatever it costs. I will give you a million dollars if that's what it takes. Even then, what a leech. Oh, foul behavior. He was just a dud without her. So yeah. he was desperate to try to get her back and he tried to use his lawyers to make that happen, whereas she was just going global. She continued to get bigger and bigger from here on out. She made it the crossover into pop music and she started shifting millions of all the records she started releasing. Uh, she was journeying through different genres, starting with Here You Come Again, uh, which was her first like multi-million selling album. Um 
some of her country fans weren't super pleased that she was getting into like disco and funk and pop. But Dolly was like, "Uh, they'll get over it. And yes, they did get over it. She toured all over the country and then around the world. She did heaps of TV. She was nominated for, oh, I have to mention this, an Emmy for her appearance on one of Cher's TV specials. Where, um, I think I mentioned this on the Cher episode, actually, uh, Dolly and Cher did a gospel medley backed by a choir singing Oh Happy Day as one of the songs in there. It's magical, hence why Dolly got nominated for an Emmy. Oh, my God. Off the back of that, she got to host a TV special of her own, and then that was such a success, she got to host her own weekly TV show. And then she wound up as the cover girl on Playboy, dressed as a bunny in the cuffs and collar and the ears. Uh, Not every project she did was a hit. She of course, had her decent share of flops, which she just considered learning experiences. Overall, her star was rising and rising and her fan base was just growing bigger and bigger. And then Miss Jane Fonda sent Dolly a movie script for Ah. a new project she was producing called 9 to 5. Working 9 to... Is that That's it, Oh, really? It was? Yes, we are there. You know one thing. Yeah, okay. Bravo, 1980, (laughs) 9 to 5. Jane had asked that the part of Dora Lee be written with Dolly Parton in mind because the character is a secretary from the South who's constantly underestimated because of her looks and her accent and her massive boobs. And Dolly would be the perfect person to play this character, of course, and she kind of knew it, but she'd never acted. But she decided, all right, I'll give it a go. Sure, why not? On one condition, I get to write and sing the theme song. And Jane was like, oh, I'm not going to fight you on that one. Yes, absolutely. So Dolly was on board and it was really cute. She memorised every single line for every character in the script because she'd never done a movie before. (laughs) She'd only ever done live TV and they run that from Uh. start to finish and try to do it without any breaks. She thought on a movie. Oh, she thought it was one take. Oh my God. The pressure. Just sort of did it like a play and did everything in order. And she wanted to make sure she knew when her cues were coming up. So she memorized the whole thing. Work ethic. Oh, yeah. And then she showed up on the first day and they were like, hey, we've rewritten the script. Here's version number two. (laughs) No, I just memorized the first one. Everyone thought that was hilarious. But um, she went ahead and memorized the second script. Oh, my God. She just felt like it. It was her method. So it was a a smash hit and like a really pivotal moment in movie history. And Dolly was a standout. She got glowing reviews. She did way better than anyone was expecting her to in terms of her acting. Underestimated her. Completely. Once again. And Mm -hmm. do that at your peril. Dolly had an absolute blast making the movie. She ended up being best friends with the other two stars, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. So she was super keen to keep doing movies if this is what movies were like. Networking queen as well. Just like her brain is switched on the Mm. whole time. She's like, I can can get close to her. Use this. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Gideon. Unfortunately, her next experience in movies was going to be the opposite of fun for her. Mm. But before I get to that, I just want to talk quickly about two things. Number one, Dolly's makeup. And number two, the song, 9 to (laughs) 5. Okay, okay. Dolly and makeup. She says there are three things in the world that mean more to her than anything else. I think if that list was four, the fourth would be makeup. Yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just the whole mug. Yeah, yeah. Um, Since she was a little girl, she has just been obsessed with makeup and she used to make her own because obviously it was forbidden where she grew up. So she'd use 
iodine or berries to stain her lips. She'd use baking flour as (laughs) face powder. She'd burn matchsticks and use the ashes to line her eyes. And she'd do all this while she was hiding out in the woods so no one would see her because she'd get in trouble if her parents found out. Leave a child alone with no iPad and that's what they're going to (laughs) get. They'll get creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) She just loved being able to transform herself and become an amplified version of Dolly. Yeah. She says she absolutely would have become a beautician or a hairdresser if she hadn't made it in entertainment because she'd need access to a discount first and foremost. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's something that she just really truly loves, making herself and making other women more beautiful. Some of her best friends in the world have never seen her barefaced wow. or have ever seen her real hair because she has been wearing a wig every day really? since the 60s. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is she not blonde or is it just much shorter? She is not naturally blonde, but she dyes her hair okay. blonde. You just have never seen it because wow. it's tucked away under a wig. She just prefers to be able to wear, you know, the big bouffant numbers that get a lot more volume than her natural hair does. Yeah. Whenever she has to, say, be on set for a shoot, she gets up in the morning, she does a full face of makeup, she goes to the makeup trailer and encourages the makeup artist to do as little as possible or to remove as little as possible. Just try to work on what Dolly has already applied and then Dolly will usually then redo what so the makeup artist like has done. So she does like the structure or like the basics almost. She does the and whole then, thing. Oh, she, she does, does the whole the thing? full face. Oh. Sometimes that means getting up at two in the morning to do her face to then go to the makeup trailer. I mean, drag queen levels here we're talking. Correct, yes. Like... Yeah. Oh, she fully embraces the fact that people call her a drag queen and says, yes, I I essentially am one of the original AFAB assigned female at birth drag queens. And she loves that about herself. Wow. I mean, I think some of my friends have never seen me with makeup. (laughs) That's wild. I'm the opposite in that way. There was one example in one of Dolly's books where um, there was an earthquake overnight and she didn't have her makeup on and she didn't have her um, wig on. And she was staying with a friend and the friend woke her up and said, we have to get out, there's an earthquake. Dolly refused to go outside. She said, I would rather have the house collapse on me than go outside and risk someone seeing me without my makeup. All right, that's slightly problematic there. That is, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if the story is true, but that's what she's claimed. Ever since then, she started going to bed wearing a full face of makeup. She gets up in the morning, goes, oh, okay, I survived. No sign of earthquakes. Takes the makeup off, puts it straight back on. The pores, though. (laughs) <laughs> I know, I I'm s- just like thinking about her skin. Mm. Oh my God. She can just cover it up yeah, with that's a little true. bit more slack. That slap. is true. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. She just feels like she's got this obligation to always look Put like a face Dolly on. Parton, yeah. what people are expecting. And also she's a real proud advocate for plastic surgery, which do whatever you would like to do. And I love the way she explains it, which is simply if it sags, bags or drags, she's going to get it nipped, tucked, <laughs> plucked or sucked. <laughs> And she knows that people joke about it and she jokes about it herself. She's constantly saying it costs a lot of money to look this cheap. That's part (laughs) of what, like, draws people to Mm. her, that she's so self-deprecating and she, like, she is the first to laugh at the way she looks. But that's the character she's created for herself because that's who she wants to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if she's picky behind set. Like, you know how there are some people who are, like, quite particular about lighting Mm. and, like, and have to have, like, all of these... (laughs) things set up before they walk in like mm. do you do you know if there's any intel of her being like she's not a diva as far as i'm aware in that sort of yeah 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 um, vein realm yeah, yeah but um yeah certainly when it comes to her makeup and her hair dolly yeah. knows best all right yeah. and 
She earned it. Dolly will be done the Dolly way. And then just quickly, the 9 to 5 song. I feel like most people already know this, but maybe not you two. I certainly came out of the womb knowing this, <laughs> um, that she wrote 9 to 5 while she was walking around the set while they were filming the movie. And she was sort of looking at the type of jobs that women do on a movie set and also that the characters and extras did on the movie. And as she was going, she was sort of... Whoop. Yep. Filing her nails? Playing her nails like a little... <gasps> washboard mm. and she was like oh that kind of sounds like the typewriters those girls are playing uh playing uh typing yeah doing their work on um and that was where the inspiration came from and that's where she then got the rhythm for nine to five from it's and a when rhythm you listen to that track again those are dolly's nails you can hear <gasps> in the background wow. that i'm doing a terrible job because obviously she's got the proper acrylics yeah, and you look at the credits of the song and it says Nails by Dolly Parton. I am wow. so listening to this again. Oh, my God. Yes, and it's such an incredible, almost socialist sort of anthem <laughs> yeah. um, specifically for women. And all the women you can hear singing backing vocals, they are women who were working on set. She wanted real working women to come on and form like a choir mm. to sing the song towards the end when wow. all those voices start joining in. Pretty sure Dolly regrets the fact that she revealed the thing about the fingernails, though, because every single interview she's done over the last 40 years, they've asked her to play her fingernails. (laughs) She's got to be singing Are you going to ask me about the fingernail thing again now? (laughs) Possibly worth it because she got nominated for an Oscar for the best original song and she won two Grammys and a whole bunch of other awards. And then she was like, okay, let's go on to my next movie. And she accepted the lead role in The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Opposite Burt Reynolds, and I'm assuming neither of you have seen Is that the that movie? movie. That's the movie. The best little whorehouse in Texas. Best little whorehouse nope, in I haven't Texas. seen that one. No. <laughs> um, it's an adaptation of a stage musical, and it was one of the worst experiences of Dolly's career. She found it really challenging working opposite Burt Reynolds because he was a bit of an egotistical prick, and there were rumors swirling everywhere that she was having an affair with him. And <laughs> just want to mention this. When she was asked directly if that was true, she was like, oh, we're too much alike to have an affair. We're like brother and sister. We both wear wigs. We both wear makeup. We both wear high heels. And we both wear little girdles to hide our fat little pot bellies. (laughs) So he was furious at her. They didn't get along very well at all for a lot of the shoot. And he was really angry. He wanted the public to think that he was having an affair with her. Yeah. For publicity. Um, everyone was stressed out on set. It was one of those cursed movies where people kept getting fired and replaced. And the director kept telling her she was a bad actor. And she was like, I never said I was a good actor. I just need you to be a good director and tell me what to do. Um, she kept threatening to quit because she was miserable, but she did make it through to the end and kind of thought, like, I probably won't ever do movies ever again. That was really horrible. And at that same time, she was falling into a really bad depression during the filming and then that really lingered on for months after the movie wrapped and then from there it was one of those things that just kept taking her on a downward spiral yeah um she was having a bit of a late 30s identity crisis and she was also just working way too much and she wasn't looking after herself mentally physically she was reaching a point of exhaustion plus she had some really serious health complications that she waited too long to address Um, Some of it was related to endometriosis Mm. and that led to her having to have a hysterectomy, which sent her into early menopause. Mm. She had to come to terms with the fact that, yeah, yeah, she'd never have biological kids and so her mental health just kept getting worse and worse and worse. 
And I won't go into the details, but she has spoken very candidly about just how bad it got and how close she was to ending her own life. Oh, my God. So she shifted her priorities around, got back to work, and she was determined to mainly only do things that brought her joy. And some of those projects were hits. Some of them were flops. One of them was Islands in the Stream with Mr. Kenny Rogers, which, of course, went to number one. Um, That was written by the Bee Gees. Not by I did not know that. Dolly and Kenny, I just remembered. I yes. love the Bee Gees. I'm a big Bee Gees fan. She also, though, made a dreadful movie with Sylvester Stallone called Rhinestone. Again, there were the tabloids um, claiming that the two of them were having an affair, which Dolly just thought was hilarious. At this time, by the way, she was the queen of the tabloids. Dolly was the third most photographed person on the planet after Madonna and the Pope. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's that, 80s. That's early 80s. Mid 80s. Mid 80s. Yeah. So alongside Diana as well, right? Yeah, Diana was just starting to emerge. Yeah. Damn. But still, Dolly was bigger than Di. Yeah. Um, one of the rumors that sort of maintained the public interest in her was is she a lesbian? Mm. Because she's got this really close female friend named Judy, and they've been besties since they were kids. They go everywhere together. Judy works for Dolly. They go on all their holidays together. Like, they're just inseparable. And so the story then became, we think they might be lovers. And Carl Dean is just a beard who we've never actually seen. So maybe he doesn't (laughs) even exist. Yeah, that's true. Mm, You know, the 80s and 90s people were just fascinated with who's gay. Yeah. um, Which Dolly just finds hilarious. And I mean, she'd make a good gay lover, I have to say. I would say that. <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of lesbians who would agree with you. Mm-hmm. Then, 1986, the year Dolly turned 40. Some very big things happened for her. Number one, she bought a theme park in East Tennessee, had it renovated and expanded and renamed it Dollywood. Really? Yes. And part of the reason she wanted to do that was to create thousands of jobs for the local community because it still hadn't experienced a lot of growth in the previous decades. Her accountants and lawyers and manager told her she was bananas to do this, but she insisted it was what she wanted to do. And it very quickly became one of the most successful theme parks in the world. It has, have you heard of it at all? I've heard of it. Mm -hmm. I've never seen photos of it or anything. So picture a combination of like roller coasters and water slides, dodgem cars, all that sort of stuff, as well as a Dolly Museum with holy relics of St. Dolly, including the um, dry cleaner receipt that she originally wrote the lyrics to Code of Many Colours on. Nice. And a whole bunch of her wigs and the Code of Many Colours itself. Um, and there's also an exact replica of the shack that Dolly was born in and grew up in. So you can go and smart, pay smart tribute woman. there. Business. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. In that same year, her record label dropped her. Uh, they thought she was overexposed and too old and dried up. Uh, But that didn't really matter. Um, I mean, it says a lot about the industry, uh, but it says a good thing about the industry that she was scooped up by a different label who were very happy to support her when she said she decided she wanted to get back to her roots and focus on country and bluegrass. She'd had enough of disco and Pop. pop, wanted to focus on what she loved best. They were happy for her to go ahead and do that. She also leaned into philanthropy and production. In East Tennessee, she started up the Dollywood Foundation, which was an intent, uh, an initiative that was first off intended to help improve education in Tennessee because that was a real problem for them that so many kids were dropping out of school. Without going into detail, she came up with a scheme that took high school dropout rates from 40% 
down to 6% wow. in the space of a couple of years. Wild. And that foundation would go on to launch the Imagination Library a few years later. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It sounds so simple. They just send out free books for kids under the age of five because Dolly found out that the best way that you can set a kid up for success at school is to teach them to read before they get mm. to school. The kids mm. who show up on day one, knowing at least the basics of how to read, have a massive head start and a massive advantage over the kids that don't. So she wants to set kids up for success. Any parent in nowadays, Australia, UK, Canada, or the US can sign their kid up for it and they'll get a free book every month wow, up until they start incredible. school. Yeah. Um, seems so simple. It has changed people's lives. And the reason Dolly wanted to focus on literacy as well was because her dad, smartest person she knew, never learned to read or write. Right. And she knew that there were incredible things he could have achieved had he been given the opportunity. So she wanted to make sure that as many people as possible around the world had um, access to the best sort of springboard to, you know, make themselves literate and get a really great education. These days there are kids all around the world who just think of her as the book lady <laughs> because, you know, she's on the branding for the Imagination yeah. Library. The Imagination Library is the thing Dolly is most proud of and she's thrilled that her legacy is going to be books instead of boobs. I mean, <laughs> I mean that would, yeah, if I were to like, you know, people ask me like, oh, if you win a million dollars, that would be something that I'd like to do. Like mm. something having to do with that living on. Did she ever end up having kids or adopting kids? I Great mean? question. No. Oh. Um, she thought she wanted kids, but then that option was sort of taken away from her. And upon reflection, she's kind of like, well, I really, I've already got kids and grandkids in a way. Mm. Because a lot of her younger siblings moved in with her and Carlene shortly after she moved yeah. to Nashville and got a big house because they wanted a bit more space than the three-room shack with their parents <laughs> out in the Smokies. Yeah. And so Dolly kind of raised them as her kids and then their kids are like her grandkids and they call her Auntie Granny. Okay. Yeah. She filled that exactly yeah. gap that she was feeling. 100%. Yeah. Okay. yeah. She's got okay. a really close-knit family and, yeah, she feels like she has everything she needs them. Um, she also started up a film and TV production company in 86 called Sand Dollar. She launched it with her manager, Sandy. So Sandy, Dolly, Sand Dollar. And the only reason why I'm bringing this up is so that I can tell you that Sand Dollar Productions produced Buffy the Vampire Slayer. What? Yes. That's wild. The original movie and then also the TV series, which was my absolute favourite as a kid. And had it not been for Dolly it. Parton, we may not have had Buffy. I mean, that was available in Jordan. You know, that was how <laughs> mm. big this show was. This is my, you know, measure, my metric. Of like, how <laughs> good is a show? Is if it makes it to the Jordanian, you know, national TV <laughs> network, then mm. that's a fucking good show. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, congratulations, Dolly. The little <laughs> yeah. TV show you made, made it, it all to the way over there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, she tried out TV once again, a series, and I'm only bringing that up so I can tell you that on one of the episodes, Dolly does a duet with Oprah Winfrey once again what? with a backing choir, and they sing oh this God. little light of mine, and it's glorious, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes. <laughs> For the next 20 years, Dolly kept releasing a new album almost every single year, wow. and as I just sort of zoom through the next couple of decades... I'll quickly mention she was in Steel Magnolias and she was wonderful in 1989. And I'm saying that because when I did the share episode, I didn't mention mermaids and I got at least 104 <laughs> messages from listeners <gasps> saying you didn't talk about mermaids at all. So I, I will just acknowledge Steel Magnolias <laughs> here and then move on to 1992, The Bodyguard. Now, yeah. Dolly Parton was driving along the freeway 
and she heard Whitney Elizabeth Houston's voice come on the radio singing, and her ears pricked up. She was like, that's not my song, is it? What? Huh? She pulled over to the side of the road, listened to the entire song. She'd given Kevin Costner permission to use I Will Always Love You in The Bodyguard, but she had no idea that it was going to be released as a single, no Mm. idea that it was going to be used as the theme song for the movie, and she had not heard Whitney sing it (gasps) until that moment. And this was the first time anyone had done a cover of that song and they'd actually done the third verse. Dolly was the only one who'd done it. Is it going to be Etta James versus Beyonce's At Last where she got really pissed off with her or is it going to be... Oh, she was in tears. (gasps) She was so thrilled. She was amazed at what Whitney had been able to do with what's really quite a simple yeah. little song. Yeah. Um, and Whitney turned it into this unbelievable power ballad. Mm-hmm. Dolly was just over the moon. And then, of course, she started getting the royalty checks and she was <laughs> praising Whitney's name. That song is still to this day the sixth biggest selling single of all time. Wow. It's made over $100 million I mean, for that Dolly alone, yeah, that alone. She mm-hmm. just can retire just with that one song. That's right. Yep. Oh, my God. Also in that year, her goddaughter Miley Cyrus was born. Did you know Miley's her goddaughter? Why do I vaguely remember that? You know how you like know something and it's like, did I dream about this or did Because somebody... Dolly was on Hannah Montana as oh. her godmother or aunt or something. So yeah. Maybe it's my childhood brain. Life there. Oh my God. Yeah, they're super close. I would see similarities between them in the way that, you know, Miley's also like yep. just doesn't give a shit. Absolutely. Like, yeah. And also both advocates for the queer community. And Dolly has always been a supporter of her gay fans, her trans fans. Like she just embraces absolutely everybody. And it's something that I just love the fact that conservatives are able to not even consider fighting her (laughs) on that. Yeah. They just completely accept it. And like she's their favorite drag queen. And if their favorite drag queen embraces gay people, I feel like, you know, that's such a, a wonderful avenue for helping to bring people together. 100%. So she's sort of plodding along and then around 2004 she decided that now was the time to remind the world she wasn't going anywhere. She was going to go on the biggest tour of her career and she was going to show the world that Dolly was still alive and well and it was a huge success every country it went to. Once that tour was done the next year she announced she was going to write a stage musical version of 9 to 5. That opened up on Broadway in 2008. It did okay, not a mega hit, but it's still touring the world 14 years later. It scored her a Tony nomination. So Dolly is an EGOT nominee. I was going to ask. She's got plenty of Grammys. She's only got nominations so far for Oscars, Emmys and Tonys. But I think we'll just give her an honorary EGOT. (laughs) Agreed? Cool. (laughs) Kept releasing new albums, kept touring... 2009, she was given this honorary doctorate by the University of Tennessee, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the commencement speech that um, Dolly did at that university for all the graduates that year because it's incredibly moving, and it's the sort of thing that you can listen to. It's just like 11 minutes long if you ever need something to just sort of pick you up a little bit. 2016, she celebrated her 50-year wedding anniversary with Carl Dean. They renewed their vows and they had a much, much bigger ceremony than the initial oh, one they had in that the little chapel. Bit yeah. Of the whole story. 
over the years, she's been working on writing another musical. This one's going to tell her life stories through her song, similar to what Elton did with Rocket Man and Cher did with The Cher Show. Mm-hmm. Can't wait for that to come out. She hasn't quite nailed it yet. Along the way, of course, she's done heaps more philanthropic work. Back in 2018, she hit the 100 millionth book, Milestone, um, for oh, the Imagination yeah. Library. And then only a couple of years later in 2021, they hit the 150 million wow. mark. Um, of course, famously, she donated a million dollars to vaccine research back in 2020 to help end the COVID-19 pandemic. Um the money she donated ended up funding the Moderna vaccine. And she did that via Naji Abramrad, a Lebanese physician who's been treating her for many years, who is also the father of Jad oh, Abamrad. Yeah. Jad Abdelmurad. Who's this? Jad Abamrad. If you listen to Radiolab, you've heard him. Oh. Really great podcast oh. um, about the sciences. Yeah, 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 yeah. And because his dad knew Dolly Parton, he was able to get in touch with Dolly and invite her to come and participate in this project he'd been cooking up called Dolly Parton's America. So we're going back in time a little bit to 2017, 2018, when he had this idea of doing a nine-part series about about why everyone loves Dolly Parton and how everything about her history and her work has just helped to boost her popularity over the years. Yeah, she agreed to participate in that. It is fantastic. Everyone agrees. It's one of the best podcast series of all time. We'll put a link in the show notes to that one. We've got to wrap up soon because Lindsay's got an award to go and accept. (laughs) My very own EGOT. (sighs) You're on your way, kiddo. (laughs) Winsy. 2022. This year has been a very, very big year for Miss Dolly Parton. She was nominated to enter the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She hasn't yet. I don't know why I thought that she would have by now. It took a long time, yes. The thing is, though, when she was nominated, she declined. Oh. Because she said, I am not worthy of this because I'm not a rock and roll artist. Mm. I've dabbled in a bunch of other different genres, but let's face it, I'm a country bluegrass gal. And so I don't want to take the award away from someone who's dedicated their life to rock and roll. So she very graciously said, I I wish to decline. But then a bunch of people got in touch with her and said, look at the list of previous inductees. They're not all rock and roll roll. It's just really for music. Yeah, it's an attitude. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And so she ended up accepting and was very, very grateful. And she vowed that to make herself worthy of the award, she was going to go away and record a rock and roll album. So that's something she's working on at the moment. Some Beatles covers, some Prince covers, some um, Rolling Stones covers. I can't wait for that to come out. She's calling it Rockstar. The other big thing that happened to Dolly in 2022, Jeff Bezos gave her $100 million to allocate to all the different charities that she supports as she chooses. It's chump change for him. Random a little bit, yeah, but it's okay. He did something. Yeah, yeah. He could certainly have given her more. Let's just focus on the fact that Dolly's going to do incredible things with that $100 million. She's going to be 77 on the 19th of January, 2023. Wow. For all I know, Lindsay, this might be coming out on the 19th of January. Yeah, Jan. I'll schedule we'll it around that time. Happy birthday, Double D, Dr. Dolly. Uh, oh, that's also me. Same titty size. Okay, you go. <laughs> It's the same it's the same size as well. I'm telling you. I'm brown dolly. Yeah. You couldn't have been the more perfect partner mm. to have on as a guest host for this. Um sadly she's announced that she won't be touring anymore 
but Elton John said that many, many times and, and I've then, got tickets yeah. to see him in January and February. Ooh. Even though, if, even if she doesn't tour, she's still far from retiring and she'll still do live appearances. She's still writing, recording, producing, playing, performing. Um, she's actually going to star in a film adaptation of a novel she just wrote that was published this year called Run, Rose, Run. So that's going to come out in a few years. She is hoping in the next couple of years she'll get the chance to collaborate with Cardi B. <gasps> what? And no, share. Get, no. Yes. This is the most shocking thing you've said today. Just take it in for a second. <laughs> what? Make it happen, Gisners. This is she's said this on television that she wants to do a project with Cardi B and share the three of them. Let's all manifest that into <laughs> existence. Join me, won't you? Take a moment. How does that sound like? I can't even imagine it. I know. I know. I don't want to. I want to be completely surprised. But, you know, if there's anything, and I know you still haven't finished, but if there's anything that I'm taking out of her life story, still, I know it's still ongoing, mm-hmm. <laughs> is like just throw a bunch of shit at the wall mm-hmm. and see what sticks, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Like why are we so scared to, mm-hmm. you know, yep. I want to start a, a, a website, you know, to um, compose music for a podcast. Mm. And I've just been thinking about it. I'm like, hmm, maybe it'll flop, maybe it'll fail. And that you know, that type of approach in life where it's just like, I don't care what people think, if that's going to flop, if that's... Because like out of a hundred things that you're going to throw, 20 is going to, you know? That's right. Yep. So cool. And she calls herself a professionalist, not a perfectionist. So she doesn't need something to be 100% perfect. It's just got to have the right feeling to it. And then she's happy to release it out into okay, the world. That's what, and that's... she's also willing to just experiment, try something, see how it goes. And, you know, it's probably not going to result in her being eaten alive. Well, it's also because I don't think from what you're saying, and, you know, I also did psychology as as, as one of mm. my things that I studied. And I think that she... Her, her self-worth mm-hmm. and her self-image is not reliant on people's expectations or impressions of mm. her. No. And that is why people can connect to that authentic person Absolutely. because she just doesn't give a shit what people think mm-hmm. yep. and is so close to herself yep. as well. And you can see that. I'll put a link to an interview she did with Barbara Walters in the 70s. I think I saw a snippet of that one. Yeah. Way back then, she was able to say, I'm so sure of myself that I just am whoever I want to be on any given day and I really do not care what anyone else thinks about me. I don't let it influence me one way or the other. Hopefully I'm out there making people happy and bringing them joy. Certainly wouldn't want to do the opposite, but it's not going to stop me from doing what I want to do and being who I am. I feel like you're not even paraphrasing and you're saying that exactly right Mm -hmm. and you are scary with how much you know things. (laughs) (laughs) I've been really immersed in the dolly verse. Yeah, I know, I know. It's awesome. Um... Yeah, she still looks absolutely fantastic. She's still 100% Dolly, the plastic bits and all. They're still her. Oh, and here's the really cool thing. She's still got thousands of songs that she hasn't released. Wow. She's written them and they're just sitting there waiting. And, I mean, she's going to continue to record as many of them as she can, but she probably can't get through all of them. And so to set herself up for when she does inevitably die, she's recorded samples of her voice singing in singing every possible syllable in every note, in every key, with every possible inflection. So in the future, producers will be able to come along. and Yes, they can just (laughs) stitch it all together and they can bring her songs to life 
posthumously. It'll be interesting to see the quality of them, how well they end up turning out, but that's her goal, that Dolly music can continue on and on forever, new Dolly music, that for eternity people can continue to make new Dolly releases. And yet she's not full of herself. That is the part that is incredible. Like she's doing all of this, Mm -hmm. but you don't sense the ego Mm -hmm. at all. She just wants to let her creativity continue to get out there into the world. And she's quite a religious person, um, or she'd rather say spiritual than religious. And she believes that that is an outlet of God moving through her. So yeah, it's not about her ego. It's about something that needs to get out into the universe, getting out there through her. Um, so yeah, I'll wrap it up with my favorite dollyism, and there are many, many, many of them. My favorite dollyism is figure out who you are and do it on purpose. And I think that's one of the wisest things anyone's ever said. Work out exactly who you are and who you want to be and make it an active choice and let it guide all of the decisions that you make throughout your life. And that was just the gist of Saint Dolly Parton. I'm a bit sad. It's over now. Thank you so much for coming on that journey. (laughs) That was incredible. That was incredible. Oh, my God. Are we moved? I am. I am going to go search her on Spotify and listen to her for the next couple of months. Oh, I might put together a playlist actually. That's a great some idea. Of my favorites, and we'll put that in the show notes. There will be many, many, many links, Gisners. Um, uh, where do I want to start? Obviously, Dolly Parton's America. She's got a few memoirs that I read. Um, one of them, I'll put a little. Um, a content warning on most of them anyone can listen to but one of them a little bit tricky there's a few documentaries that I want you to watch and a few um, interviews that she's done that I want you to watch or read there's a great one she did with RuPaul as well anyway really oh okay okay I know we have to go but that's so fucking interesting yeah oh I'm she, gonna yeah there's a whole library there for you to um to jump into Lem thank you so much for joining us you've got your guitar out once again if you want to sing Jacob knows his shit <laughs> <laughs> That was it. That's all I wanted Thank to say. Thank you so much. And um, <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay, let's go see you win your award. Woo, Thank you so much, by the way. That was so, 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 like, it, you just changed my day. Yay. I just, yeah. It's so cool, like, listening to you the whole time in the podcast and now, like, seeing you and just, like, I'm <sighs> honoured. I am honoured. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, Gisners, there is more to come next week. We've got another story to serve up for you. Here's a little nibble of it. Have a taste. They paddled back to their base camp as quickly as they could to try to get help. And when they did, they left behind one item floating on the river. It was Phil's blue paddle that drifted off downstream. Cut to the opening credits. Hippopotamus <gasps> <Paper> Massacre. <gasps> That's, that's like Jaws, so like mm. unsuspecting tourists. Right. Da-na-na-na hippo. Mm-hmm. That wow. is terrifying. Listener.